Welcome to 630 Naperville. I'm Nathan Ronchetti. And I'm Paige Ronchetti. We're so glad you could join us. We've got a fantastic lineup for you today. We'll learn more about the mental health benefits of recreation, tour a Naperville fire station, and check out some Irish dancers. But first, I'll be sitting down with James Bernicke for another installment of Legally Speaking. James Bernicke, welcome back to the show. It's always a pleasure to be here. So I understand you have some more truth or myth for me today. Yep, a lot of myths out there. Some are truths and we'll try to get to the bottom of them. All right, well, let's jump right in. What do you have for me? So we've had a lot of questions in the past where people will call us and say, well, my friend and I or my relative and I, we've, we've agreed on a purchase price for my house. Can't I just sign it over to him and he just writes me a check and, and we just be done with it and we don't have to deal with everything else? Ooh, I am going to say that is a myth. That is a myth. Um, there's just so much more involved in it for the protection of both parties. There's things like title insurance. There could be questions about the survey. Some people don't know where exactly their lot line ends. Maybe their properties on their neighbors. And that can create a lot of problems. And it's unsafe for a buyer to buy without knowing exactly what they're buying. And it's unsafe for a seller to sell when there may still be some hanging on things that a buyer can come back later. You want to make sure that the transaction is that that final piece where the seller no longer owns it, no longer has any responsibility, buyer takes it free and clear, and they can live there peacefully without worrying about issues coming up down the road. Yes, absolutely. More information <laughs> is always better information. Exactly, exactly. All right, second myth, hit me with it. So a lot of people say that this is going to be a seller's market in the spring. If it is a seller's market, um, some people want to save a few bucks and they say, oh, can't I just put my home up on Marketplace or on social media and just take in offers from anybody? That, that'll work, right? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I'm a realtor. I've gotten similar questions. <laughs> and uh, please don't do that. That is a myth. <laughs> <laughs> that is, it, it is a myth in that it's a very, very bad idea because uh, studies have shown that listing with a realtor actually gets you more money than listing it by yourself. So mm -hmm. you're probably not saving the money you think you are, first of all. Plus, it's just a lot of work. Are you, as a seller, do you want to coordinate all the showings? Do you want to have strangers in your house that you have never met before? Do you want to make sure that they're pre-qualified? Do you want to write up a contract? There's just a lot of things involved in it that it's not just as simple as saying, well, I'm just going to put my house up there and take a bunch of DMs from strangers. <laughs> no, <laughs> and from a safety perspective, too. Yeah. You know, you don't know who these people are. No, I, I mean, are you wanting to run background checks on everybody that comes into your house, mm -hmm. a realtor can do that for you. So yep. probably best to just leave it to the professionals, I guess. I agree completely. Something you can do yourself, but <laughs> maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. Speaking of the upcoming seller's market that we think it'll be, uh, a lot of buyers really find a house they want, or maybe they haven't um, gotten that. They've, they've lost some deals before and they say, well, I'm just going to bid way over list and I'm going to waive inspection and I'm going to do a, a non-refundable earnest money. I got to make sure that I, that I win this, this, this offer. Oh, well, um, there were some not so great ideas in that question. <laughs> so we'll go with myth for this one too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's again, probably not the best idea. Um, the contract is written there for, again, protection of the buyer, protection of the seller. And you, as a buyer, may really, 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 really want this house. But if you waive the inspection and, and give non-refundable deposits, 
and you find out later that it needs all new plumbing or the foundation is crumbling, you've just lost that deposit and you might buy this house with all these problems, but you've paid more than it's worth and you might really put yourself in trouble. Um, so things are put there for people's protection and um, those are generally, almost always, not the best idea. Just even if you really, really want that house, there'll, there'll be another one. For sure. And there is a difference between waiving the inspection and taking a house as is. That is also true. You mm -hmm. can uh, make your offer a little more desirable by saying as is, which would still give you the option to back out if the um, inspection wasn't good. Whereas just waiving the inspection completely, you're taking it like it is, all its flaws, all its money pit problems. Yep, yep. Too scary. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> all right. What's our next truth or myth? So the next one is... All states use lawyers for closings. Mm, I mean, I think they should. I, I'll say truth for this one because I think they should. It's a myth. Actually, uh, Illinois and the Chicago area is one of the few areas that uses attorneys for closings, um, which I've talked to people in other states, and the result of not having an attorney closing is there are tons and tons of post-closing litigations. Mm. And there's lots of courtroom drama about, well, this person didn't disclose this. They didn't tell me this. This, this happened post-closing. Um, and the job of an attorney, a closing attorney, especially here in the area, is to prevent those sort of things, mm -hmm. to make sure everything's done at closing, everything, uh, you know, buyers know exactly what they're getting into so that there's not that kind of post closing drama. You know, we want to make sure that the seller is paying off everything they need to at closing, giving proper credits, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and without an attorney, some of those legal explanations might get lost and then result in conflict later. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's do one more truth or myth. We'll do one more. So residential and commercial real estate, they're the same. Oh, goodness. You know what? They are not. That is a myth. <laughs> <laughs> that is a myth. There's a lot of differences in them, um, and it's important to have somebody that's familiar with the particular type of real estate that you're um, in, you know, investing in, buying, selling, or what have you. Um, with residential uh, versus um, commercial, commercial, you might have different kinds of surveys, like environmental. You might be dealing with uh, rent rolls and estoppels and uh, um, you know, different things, zoning, things like that, where residential, you've got mortgages and surveys and homeowners associations and things like that. So they, are, um, they do have similarities, but there's a lot of differences between the two that it's important to have somebody who has a little experience and knows what they're doing in that particular type of real estate. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I feel like I learned a lot. Up next, Samira Luthman from the Naperville Park District explores the mental health benefits of recreation. Hi, I'm Samira Luthman with the Naperville Park District, and welcome to Park It. Today I'm in Studio One, right off the Riverwalk, and this is where the pottery magic happens at the Park District. I'm happy to be joined today by Julie, who is one of our Park District instructors. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Julie and I are going to be talking today about the benefits of mental health and working through arts programs, for example, pottery. So let's dive right in. What are the top few benefits of engaging in a hands-on program like pottery for people who are looking to release emotional tension or stress? 
I think one of the top benefits for sure is that it really helps to reduce stress, anxiety, it boosts one's mood. And when it comes to pottery, I think that has so much to do with the material itself. You're really kind of getting in there and working with your hands. It's this very tactile experience. It's very calming, very meditative. Um, in fact, studies show that in as little as 45 minutes of working with clay, your blood pressure levels are reduced, your stress hormone cortisol levels are reduced. Wow. It really has this wonderful effect. That's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Um, and I think additionally, it's really this kind of um, challenge, cognitively, a brain challenge, a neurological challenge. Um, you're kind of coming to the medium with an idea, a vision of what you would like to create, and you're problem solving all along the way, figuring out what steps you need to, to take to end with that result, um, how far you could push the material, where you'd have to kind of fall back a little bit. And so it's this kind of give and take in terms of thinking about what you need to do and understanding how the material works. So then if you're talking in terms of like mental health and mental wellness, if this is a way to reduce stress, could it be said then that if you're working with clay or you're working with a different kind of artistic medium, it kind of takes your mind off of things too and really puts you into a creative process mode? For sure. I think everything else, no matter what creative task you're involved with, kind of falls aside and you're really just engaged and focused on what you're creating in front of you and you forget about any of the worries, any of the concerns, any of the um, the baggage that you're carrying in your sure. daily life. I think there's just a wonderful kind of self-confidence that grows with people the more classes they take. They're learning skills, kind of developing those skills further, really pushing the, those boundaries, and in the end, kind of feel this, you know, this greater self-worth, this this greater self-confidence in their own their own ability. So as someone that has worked in, in the arts for a while and has seen a lot of people kind of come and go through the different programs, do you have any success stories or things you'd like to share as far as what you've seen from your students as far as progressing in a, a good path emotionally? Yeah, for sure. I think no matter who comes into the studio for the first time, the, the response is always the same. This is so calming. This is so meditative. I want to come back. This is so addictive. And I think most people respond in that way because it's true. This really is this this material, this, this medium, this process that allows them escape from their daily life, allows them to kind of focus and relax and just kind of engage with this material that has such a physical quality to it. Um, I've worked with children as young as three who come into the studio along with their parents for open studios. I've had nonverbal participants. I've had people on the autism spectrum, people with various stages of dementia or, or Alzheimer's. And I think the really wonderful thing about working with clay is it's it kind of meets people where they're at. It's this medium that no matter what your skill level, no matter what your background, your age, your challenges, we're all starting out with the same block of clay and we all have that same potential or possibility. And I think it just kind of lifts some of the anxiety of trying something new and, and promises um, you know, this potential in anything that these people are making during their sessions here. Especially with clay, it's really this forgiving medium. If you make a mistake, you can always wet your finger or a sponge right. and kind of erase that. Um, if something is uneven or unbalanced, you could scrape a little clay away or add some to make it more symmetrical. And so there's really not the pressure of feeling like you have to get it right. There's no right or wrong answer. Definitely. And while engaging in art, that can be something that's a solo activity, certainly. But 
I think that there's probably a lot of benefits to engaging in it in a group setting too. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think the benefit of having this kind of community of people who are all gathered for the same purpose or the same interest is really you feel a sense of support and camaraderie. Um, you have a chance to kind of socialize and converse with others around you. There is a lot of walking around and observing going on where you can get inspiration from others. And yet it's still this very quiet kind of calm environment where if you want to retreat into your piece and work silently for a bit and really focus on what you're doing, you can do that while still having neighbors to engage with or interact with. And I know that so much of what's talked about as far as like mental health and wellness, it's go for a walk outside or go take a fitness class and both very important things. And it's important to engage in physical activity. But I think this is really another important side of it too. The whole notion that in creating something, you're expressing yourself in a way that most of us don't have the chance to do in our everyday lives is this really unique, very special um, experience. Well, Julie, I wanna thank you for being my guest today. I hope that for our, our viewers out there, this inspires you to try something new. Thanks for watching and I'll see you next time on Park It. Stay in the know at home or on the go with NCTV 17 News Update. This quick recap of everything happening in and around town will be delivered straight to your email inbox for free. Sign up today. If you watched the 2024 Grammys, then you saw videos by Naperville Central High School alum Jackson Wigger. It was quite a challenge to to bring these videos to life, especially with uh, five of the biggest superstars in the world right now. And it was, it was just like really stressful. And I, at first I didn't know if I could do it, but I've, I've kind of learned in life and doing this for a few years now is that if something makes me uncomfortable, I need to grab it and go for it. It was an opportunity he's glad he took. I got to attend the Grammys and I got to bring my parents and you know, seeing those films play in a, in a room with Taylor Swift or Oprah, it was a pretty special feeling. Today, Jackson Wigger shoots, edits, and creates visual effects for his videos. But before tackling big projects like the Grammys, he had pursued digital creation as a hobby since he was 10 years old. I remember I would uh, take my parents' little flip camera back in the day and just like make little movies in the backyard. I would take it out to the local pool with my buddies and we would make little videos of us flipping off the diving boards or on my trampoline at home. He went on to create videos for Naperville Central High School during his sophomore year. I started making football video recaps and different sporting events and I would just post them on Twitter and people would start would start to like them and, and retweet it. That's about the time I realized yeah, I might be onto something here. His passion turned into a career when he began creating videos in the music space for local artists in the Chicagoland area. His big break would come in 2021 when he was invited to join the official Lollapalooza media team. He's covered the event each year since then, along with other big projects. I've been able to tour with Dwayne Johnson. I toured with Lil Nas X. I have worked for the Super Bowl now three times. I've done the Stanley Cup. I've done F1 in Mexico City. I've been able to do like over like 150 flights now in the last two and a half years and been able to see a lot of the world. So 
it's really kind of blossomed into quite the awesome, fun and comfortable yet uncomfortable uh, lifestyle. He credits his Naperville roots for being a solid foundation in his career. There's a lot of people I have to thank at Naperville Central for for supporting what I do. And it's it's great to see I've kind of been in contact with a few people since or a few teachers since then. Um, and still having their continued support is really special to me. So Naperville Central has a, a special place in my heart. 4630 Naperville, I'm Jesus Cortez. We're here on location at Fire Station 8 in Naperville, hanging out with the fire department, talking about their 150th anniversary, and getting a tour to understand what it's like to have a day in the life of a firefighter. Thanks for having us, Guy. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. So this station was opened in Ju uh, June 2nd, 2001, in the memory of Lieutenant George Winkler, whose son actually is on the job today. Andy Winkler was a firefighter paramedic and was hired as part of the class to open this station, which was kind of unique. Um, Lieutenant Winkler lost his life in a training accident here on duty back in 1991, um, and this station was opened in dedication of his honor. So his plaque sits on the wall. Excellent. Oh, that's so special. Yeah, it's great. So since we're here today, take us through what it's like. Let's say that we're coming for a shift. Can you take us through a day of what we would experience here on the job? Yeah, give you a little bit of background on our shifts. Our shifts work 7 a.m. to 7 a.m. So we work a 24-hour tour of duty, and then uh, uh, a firefighter's off for, for 48 hours. Typically, though, uh, members arrive to work usually around an hour to an hour and a half before work, about 6 a.m., and they do a couple of things. And before we start moving, we'll go over them. They'll check their email, check their, uh, used to be just check your mailbox. Now it's check your mailbox and check your email. <laughs> They'll look at the logbook and see what calls that the squad company here ran the day before, if there's anything unique, if any fire alarms are taken out of service anything they need to know. And then they'll usually move this way to the kitchen and grab a cup of coffee and talk to the, on, to the off-going crew. So we're in the living quarters of the fire station, which comprises the kitchen and the uh, day room where firefighters will spend a lot of their time uh, after 5 p.m. in the day room. Um, we can watch television here, study for exams, study for school, a lot of other entities that members may be involved in the fire department. How many calls per day does this station average? Citywide, we do between, on a, on a low end, probably 45 a day, and then on a high end, we can go upwards over 100. We'll have some, some days where, you know, weather impacts or um, that generally the driver's weather would go upwards of over 100. This station's probably between, you know, I, I would say five and eight on a general average day is uh, the number of calls that the station will run. So the next place we'll show, after uh, we talk to the, to the off-going company, grab a cup of coffee, we'll go to our bunk room and get changed. We'll show you what that looks like. That's great. So after that morning routine of off-going kind of informally, the um, members will come into their individual bunk rooms, and uh, their lockers are also here, which will contain their um, their fire uniforms. Sure. Uh, but they'll come in here, and each shift has their own locker. So each person, you can see like the name tags on some of them, they'll have their own locker where they can have their own personal toiletries and their uniforms. And while we're in here, just a little bit about uh, the bunk room in general. So above you, you'll see we have a speaker, which is connected to our station alerting system. So when a 911 call comes in for this district, our public safety answering point, our 911 center will activate the tones in this station. So that speaker will open up. There'll be an audible voice to tell them what the call is, the nature of the call, where they are going with the address and which rigs are going. So the next place we'd go is we'll show you the fitness room. 
Well, we've taken you now to the fitness room. So our members, uh, we, we preach physical fitness. It's uh, kind of a component of our job. And so an hour of every day is built into their schedule that during the work hour, they're going to be afforded one hour to complete physical fitness. It's just like any other training that we might have. You know, a lot of what we do can be dangerous. And so providing members ability to stay physically fit and healthy does really impact uh, their well-being too. And when members want to join the fire department, they have to pass what's called the Candidate Physical Ability Test, CPAT for short. Uh, that's run in conjunction with the International Association of Fire Chiefs and the International Association of Firefighters. It's a tested normed process throughout the country that's used by a lot of fire departments and sets the minimum standards that someone needs to be a firefighter. So that kind of, that's our entry level. You have to pass that to get to become a member of the Neighborville Fire Department. And then after that, we have or we have uh, required fitness every day. And we also test people on our essential job functions um, on a regular basis. So every year, a firefighter has to pass minimum requirements to stay on the job. So next, after someone works out, we'll take you to the bay floor where we'll grab our turnout gear and put it next to the rig and be ready to go on calls. So after, uh, after a member, if they choose to work out before shift, the next thing they'll do is come get their fire gear out of their gear locker. So we keep our personal pr protective equipment, uh, consists of fire boots, fire pants, a coat, a hood to protect your neck and back of your ears, gloves, helmet, SCBA mask, so the mask that connects to your self-contained breathing apparatus that you'll wear, and that's the stuff that they'll get ready to go. So you'll see uh, firefighters keep it in a rack like this uh, while they're not here. We also have um, uh, a black bag here that the gear is kept in when they're not on duty. And the reason we do that is uh, diesel exhaust from the from the apparatus, as well as whatever was absorbed in a fire, uh, is all class one carcinogens and known to be carcinogenic to firefighters. So we want to keep the gear as protected as possible, and also stop the off gassing from any gear as members are in the firehouse. So you'll notice they have like Croc style shoes. One of our members brought this through our wellness committee was that cross contamination of the apparatus floor to the living quarters of the fire station there was a study done with the san francisco fire department where they found diesel exhaust particulate in the vacuum bag of the vacuum that they used to clean the fire station to eliminate that cross-contamination our members uh, will slide out of their duty boots and wear those croc style shoes in the living quarters of the station and then likewise change into their boots here to go on a call. And that wellness committee in conjunction with the safety committee takes a look at a lot of those studies or reports from practical use from our members, tries to bring a proposal together or just bring some awareness level or bring the study so that we could analyze that and investigate like is there a procedure or practice or something that we need to do to make our members a little bit more safe, uh, give them a better edge or help them with you know the, the length of their career to be you know to be healthy and the, a lot of our uh, initiatives like those crocs come through that either safety or wellness committee and are brought forward to administration that way. So it's kind of a cool, unique way of having um, things brought from the bottom up as opposed to just always top down. Our members bring these initiatives to us based off of what they see, what they hear, uh, what they're doing on the street or, or um, studies they know, and, and we investigate them as a group and come to consensus on how to make our jobs a little bit easier, a little bit safer. So Once the firefighters get their gear from their locker, they'll bring them to the fire engine. Each position will position themselves accordingly. So the officer is going to be up front, the fire, backstep firefighter will be here, and the driver is going to be over there. Uh, each section has their own SCBA, so they'll take their mask, they'll hook it up, they'll test their SCBA, make sure that everything works, um, and then they'll go over the equipment that's actually 
staged inside the fire engine that is you know stays with with it and is and is not unique to each individual. Every apparatus that we have has a full complement of medical supplies, so uh, we could affect basically anything that an ambulance can do. We can do on a fire apparatus minus transport. So that's that we, wow. they can you know if they get there first and you see the fire engine, that's why is because they can do everything that an ambulance can can. They're trained as paramedics and they know all of the same skills and can get you basically packaged and ready to go for the ambulance to transports. Yeah, and then all the tools for rescue, firefighting, vehicle extrication are sitting behind us. We run, talk about upwards, sometimes 100 calls a day, almost 18,000 runs a year. Our rigs are running constantly. So there's a lot of swapping in and out of vehicles, which is why that exchange of information and that vehicle check and vehicle uh, um, inspection process is so important in the morning for the firefighters. So they know what piece of apparatus they're in and, and get familiar with all the location of the equipment. Gentlemen, thank you so much for showing us around fire station number eight and giving us a taste of a day in the life of the Naperville Fire Department. And I don't know about you, but I learned a lot today. I know. I want to stay and learn more. <laughs> I'll leave him here with you guys. After the break, we'll see a performance from the McNulty Irish Dancers. Stay tuned for more 630 Naperville. Thanks for joining us here on NCTV 17. And now you know... From, from 630 Naperville. I'm Nathan Ronchetti. And I'm Paige Ronchetti. We leave you with a performance from the McNulty Irish Dancers. See you next time.